Well, good morning, church. Good morning, church. Better, I could hear that one. It's good to be together once again, and in the grace, mercy, and peace of our loving Lord Jesus Christ, I want to welcome you to our service of worship and celebration. But first, we have a couple of family matters to look after, and Paul, you get to start. Good morning. Uh, This is an announcement about Grey Matters, which will be held tomorrow night at 7 p.m. I'm going to do a little bit of a survey. How many uh, of you know some people who believe in intelligent life from a distant solar system or in uh, UFOs? Put your hand up. Do you know anybody like that? Have you ever had a discussion with someone like that about the issue? Few people have. If you ever had a discussion with someone like that, would you like to know how to discuss it with them from a more uh, intelligent uh, Christian perspective? A few people. Uh, Tomorrow night, we will be having our Grey Matters, and the topic, as you've probably seen on the screen here, is Lights in the Sky and Little Green Men. Uh, We will be watching a YouTube video done by Dr. Hugh Ross, who is a retired Christian astrophysicist, and he will be discussing this topic from a scientific and uh, Christian point of view. So if you're interested or so inclined and have the time available tomorrow night, we'd love to have you. And if you'd like to invite a friend from whatever perspective, please feel free to do so. Thank you. Thanks, Paul. Well, have anybody, has anybody ever made a mistake here? Nobody's made a mistake here, right? Well, we made a mistake and we got all the directories printed upside down, backwards, forwards, and mostly just in the wrong alphabetical order, right? Well, the new ones are here and these are correct. And so you can pick one up at the Welcome Center in the, in the SPVC Cafe following the service. We're asking to start that we just use one per family and then as, as we have leftovers, we'll be able to distribute it more to those who need them, okay? Also, the welcome cards are in your pews, and if you're visiting with us, we would love to have you just fill out one of those cards and drop it off at the Welcome Center, or if you have questions that you want to ask about the church or about us or about uh, how we do things, you just come over to the Welcome Center and, and you can fill out one of those cards and we'll be happy to look after that for you. Thursday evening, of course, is our AGM. This is uh, our annual general meeting. It's part two, and it's at 7 o'clock on Thursday evening here at the church. The report books are also now available, and they're at the Welcome Center in the cafe. And if you're not able to attend in in person, we do have proxy forms, and uh, somebody else can can have your vote on your behalf, okay? So fill out one of those proxy forms, and uh, for those who, who are asked to be proxies, where you're allowed two proxies per person, okay? Also, the 30-day book of booklets of prayer are also now available at the Welcome Center, and I've got to hold up two of these because we not only have the regular ones for the adults, but we have a few children's copies as well. And they're available at the Welcome Center. Gary, Pastor Gary's going to be talking a little bit more about that uh, as we go into the service. 
Uh, on that note, be sure to join us in the SPBC Cafe after the service, and we invite you to come in to get a cup of coffee, talk to somebody you haven't talked to before, maybe somebody that you haven't talked to for a long time, and just enjoy a, that, the time of fellowship together. Now, we can go to worship there. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. And welcome to this Sunday service here at Stanley Park Baptist Church. We're thankful that you've joined us for this special time of worship and celebration. I want to begin uh, our service today with the words from Isaiah chapter 12. It says, In that day you will say, I will praise you, Lord. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away, and you have comforted me. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. In that day, you will say, give praise to the Lord. Proclaim his name. Make known among the nations what he has done and proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel among you. Indeed, the Lord is among us this morning. Amen? So I encourage us, people at Stanley Park, to shout aloud and sing for joy this morning as we join our voices in praise. If you're able, let's stand together now and let's begin to sing songs of praise to our God. Great things he has done. 
Amen. Can the church shout hallelujah? Hallelujah. Let's do it one more time. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You may be seated. What a gift that Jesus paid it all. What a gift. And it's good to remind ourselves of that daily. Well, at this time, I'm going to uh, pray uh, for our children as they get ready to go to Bible Town. And we'll also uh, take some time and commit uh, the offerings that have been given this week to the Lord. Of course, I must remind you, uh, on Sunday mornings, if you have an offering, whether that's checks or cash, they can be placed in the offering box at the back. There's a couple of great boxes there labeled offering at the back of the sanctuary. That's where you can drop your envelope. Uh, the other thing that you can do is you can now give by e-transfer. Uh, and so you need to direct the e-transfers to giving at stanleyparkbaptist.com. Make sure you include your address. Um, and make sure that in the memo section as well or in an accompanying email, uh, you, let, you let us know how you're uh, designating your gift. Also, there's automated giving. You can get forms uh, for that in the office, and of course there's a donate button on our website at stanleyparkbaptist.com give, and you can use that uh, if you want to give by credit card or PayPal. I'd like to remind you, because there's so many ways that you can give, um, and I know a lot of you probably have done one of those four things, and we're thankful that you have done so and that you're faithful in giving to the work of the Lord. So at this time, join me, and let's pray uh, for our children and commit the offering to the Lord. Father, we are so thankful once again this morning to be here, uh, to be able to celebrate once again your goodness to us, to be able to celebrate who you are and what you have done. And Lord, we are, we are so thankful uh, for your goodness to us. And we also see that without you, we are nothing and can do nothing. And so we, 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 we realize that you are our source in everything. And we pray that our children as well would be able to see the same thing, that you are our source. We pray your blessing over them this morning. We place in your hands all the work that is being done with our children. We pray that you would lead uh, their teachers, their leaders by your spirit to guide and care for each one of them. These children are treasured members of our church family and we know you have good plans and purposes for their lives and we thank you for blessing us with these children. And Lord, we remember once again that you are an abundant God and it is out of your great mercy that you've given us so much. And so we give you our offerings today. And with that, with them, we worship you. And we give our whole selves to you. We pray that you would take that and use it for your kingdom and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, children, once again, I want to say thank you for joining us for the first part of the service and singing so well with us. And I pray you have a great time in Bible Town. When I walk through deep 
in the fire I will not be overcome Through the valley of the shadow I will not fear I am not alone I am not alone You will go before me You will never leave me I am not alone I am not alone You will go before me You will never leave me In the midst of deep sorrow I see your light is breaking of night will not overtake me I'm pressing into you Lord you fight my every battle and I will not fear I am not alone I am not trials you've always been faithful you bring healing to my soul I am not alone I am not alone you will go before me you will never leave me I am not alone I am not alone you will go Before me, you will never leave me. I am not alone. I am not alone. You will go before me. You will never leave me. I'm not alone. Would you bow with me in prayer, please? Indeed, our gracious Heavenly Father, as once again we as your people come before your throne of grace this morning, we are reminded that we are never alone.
you are always with us. Your spirit is here. Your spirit is within us. Your spirit speaks into every situation we find ourselves in, if we would but listen. We are reminded that, we, that in and of ourselves we have no right to come to you. We are completely unworthy to even bow before you. Thank you for the righteousness of Jesus Christ that makes us whole, makes us right and acceptable before you. Thank you for the glorious salvation that you have provided for us through Jesus. And thank you, Lord Jesus, for your willingness and determination to resolutely walk toward Calvary's cross and there willingly suffer and die, giving your sinless life so that by your blood, that sinless blood, you could pay the tremendous debt that we owed to the God of our creation. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the glorious salvation you have provided. Forgive us when we simply rush in and then out of your presence, O God. Forgive us when we make things in this world and in our lives more important than the time we spend with you. Forgive us when our self-importance becomes greater than our dependency upon you. And even in these few moments as we gather together with our brothers and sisters in Christ, slow us down, quiet our hearts, help us to turn the eyes of our souls upon you, our creator, our salvation, our every loving, every ever loving, holy, heavenly father. Help us to see our waywardness so that we might fall before you and experience afresh your love, your grace, your mercy. For the truth is, Father, there are far too many times when we sin against you, doing the very things that we know we shouldn't and simply not doing the things we know we should. Forgive us when we make ourselves more important than you or when we inadvertently and, yes, sometimes even deliberately turn our backs to you. Forgive us, O God. Cleanse us from the inside out. Restore to us the joy and the peace of our salvation. Lord Jesus, you have promised to help, uh, help us shoulder the burdens of our lives, promising your strength, your help to see us through whatever it is that we're experiencing in our lives. Do your work of grace and mercy amongst us this at this time. For those who need a physical healing touch, prove yourself to be Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals and this morning, we especially want to pray for Peter as he's in hospital. We ask that you would be with Stan and Aileen as they journey these days with him. We pray for Murray as he awaits a placement, and for all of those who need a healing touch, for Anne as she prepares for surgery to deal with her cancer, for Nancy whose cancer has progressed, for Willa, for Gus, for Nancy and Harvey, for David and Gail, and the many others in our congregation who need to experience your healing touch, for Janice and Matthew as, and those who are dealing with diseased bodies that will go on and on. We pray for others, for those who need to experience emotional and mental and spiritual healing, 
Be there for them. Walk with them through these difficult days. And should there be something that is holding them captive, bring release, restoration, and deliverance, we ask in the name of Jesus. We think of the many who are grieving loss, for those who need work, for those who are finding time heavy on their hands, and for those who can't seem to find enough time to do the many things that are demanded of them. Be the God who is there with them, faithfully walking by their side, lovingly lifting them from those things that cause them so much grief. We pray for our seniors, especially those who are shut in and can't make it out. We lift up Doreen, Ruth and Freeman, Stan, Elaine, and all the others who would, ha who would love nothing more than to be right here with us this morning, but can't be. And Lord, we want to pray for the many needs of those who are sitting here in this auditorium and those who are joining us online. Needs which we may not really know much about, but you know all about them. And we know that you know these things and that you are faithful to all of your children. So we just ask that you would do your work of mercy and grace. Touch hearts and lives. Bring restoration, forgiveness, and may every one of us know your love and care. And now, dear Lord, as we come before your word, May your spirit work in our hearts and minds, and may your word accomplish all that you send it out to do. For we pray all these things through the strong and most powerful name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. My thanks uh, to our worship team for uh, leading us in that time of worship this morning and to Pastor Paul uh, for leading us in prayer as a congregation. Uh, welcome. Welcome. Yeah, how do you respond to welcome, right? Well, thanks. Yeah. Uh, special welcome to those visiting with us today. Actually, a very special visitor, uh, Gerhard Maria, uh, introduced me to their grandson, Matthias, who is here today. So uh, welcome, Matthias, uh, joining us, along with everyone else uh, who, is, who is joining us, either new or old or somewhere in between. Uh, welcome. Um, last week, I was struck at the level of confession that took place after the service. I can't tell you how many people came up to me, specifically the confession of, of speeding, uh, people sharing with me their stories of, uh, you know, their, their own speeding tickets and uh, violations. So there you go. Uh, confess your sins to each other, James 5. Uh, we were doing that. Um, this morning, I have a very important announcement, and I'm going to hold this up. Uh, this begins, actually yesterday began, 30 days of prayer for the Muslim world. Um, this is uh, an initiative that began roughly 30 years ago. A group of Christians got together to pray in a very focused way for the Muslim world during the annual Muslim fast of Ramadan. And in the 30 years since, more Muslims have come to faith in Jesus Christ than in the previous 1,400 years. Many through miracles, dreams, and visions. 
God has revealed himself through his son, Jesus. Stanley Park has been part of this prayer initiative for several years now, and we are inviting everyone once again this year to participate in this important campaign. We have these booklets. Uh, I don't know how many copies we have, but they are at our Welcome Center in the gymnasium today. Uh, please pick one up. And through this, this prayer guide, you can pray every single day uh, for, for the Muslim world. Now, if we run out of the hard copies, you can go to, I believe it's um, 30daysofprayer.com or something like that. Uh, Google it. Uh, there's an online guide. And it's a, a digital, basically digital prompt every day, prompting you to pray. Uh, and it, it follows, corresponds with, with the hard copy. And we just would just please encourage everyone to, to be a part of this important initiative as we want to see more and more Muslims come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Right now, we're going to hear uh, the, the very powerful testimony of a Muslim who encountered Jesus Christ through the prayers of God's people. Um, we've got a video, and we're going to cue that up. Um, it's a few minutes long, but uh, hopefully you can hear this. I think there's subtitles in case you can't. Please follow along, uh, and I pray that you are ministered to through this testimony. Zechariah, he was a nice person. He was a decent person. He was very smart. He was the only Christian in the whole of the school. And I hated him, and because I thought as a Muslim, I must be better than him. But he was better than I. We start to beat him every single day that we come to school. And we agreed on that night, we need to kill him. It was dark, it was uh, cold, and we went ahead of him. And we were five of us. We climbed a tree, and we waited there. And from far away, we saw that a torch coming, and the light became bigger and bigger as it approaches us. And the minute that he just went under the tree, we jumped at him. He was crying, he was screaming, he was shouting. We broke his arm, we broke his leg, he started to bleed. And because he started to scream and begging for help, I put my hand in his mouth so that no noise will come out of him. Similar when you are slaughtering a sheep, you know, it's just shivering and the others were, were beating him. I felt very proud. You were actually doing something for, for Allah. You know, you want to please him. And suddenly, he could no longer breathe and we could not hear his voice. We left him in the wood between life and death. We went back, you wash yourself, and you pray. And Zechariah never came back. Never seen him again. I was born and raised up in a very, very fanatic Muslim family. When I was a child, my father brought me to a Quran school. I was only eight years old, and my father just dropped me there. They shaved my head. We sat in a circle. The sheikh sat in the middle of the circle, and he has a very long whip. I was forced to memorize the Quran. Every mistake that you do, this whip 
will just come right in the middle of your head. You're not allowed to cry because in our culture they tell you men never cry. I was crying every single night. And they told me you belong to the Islamic Ummah and that's why you fight for it, you stay loyal to it. I started to hate people, to hate everybody who's not a Muslim. And I especially used to hate the Jews. So I was preparing myself to go and fight for Allah in the jihad. But every night I went to bed and when we put the light off, I did not know what will happen with me if I die. My cousin was severely sick and the doctors, they said he's going to die. They gave him only a couple of days. And when they came to people, they were Coptic Christians. And one of them wanted to greet me. And then I saw he had a cross. And then I pulled my hand back. I said, well, I'm not going to touch a hand with a cross. And then he said to me, we hear that this child is sick. Who would like to pray for him? And only out of politeness, I told them, okay. And they started to speak to God like a person that he speaks to his friend. They said, God, please heal this child. The minute that they said, Amen, this child opened his eyes for the first time in four weeks. He started to move his hands. He started to speak. He sat down in his bed and he started to walk. And one of those two persons who prayed sat down with me. And he said to me, you know what? The real miracle is that God wants to change your heart. Do you believe that Yeshua is alive? And I told him, yeah. Because according to the Islamic tradition, God took him to heaven and he's alive and he will come back one day. And he said to me, because he's alive, you can speak to him. That changed my entire life. And when I started to read the scripture, nobody needed to convince me to love the Jewish people. The only way for Muslims to start to love the Jews is when they meet Yeshua. I loved my family. I loved my father. I loved my mother and I loved my community. And when I decided to follow Yeshua, my grandfather and my father said to me, you are no longer one of us. They made a funeral. They invited friends and family. They brought a coffin to the cemetery and they said, our son is dead. To be declared dead with no family. I said to God, where are you? I hear this voice and this voice told me, you know that the grave where your name is written, you know that grave is empty. And guess what? My grave is also empty. I went to Egypt for the first time after many years, and I was in a pastoral conference. And one of the Sudanese pastors came to me, it's an elderly man, gray hair, started to speak to me and he asked me, where did you come from? I told him my story. He started to cry. And then I asked him, why are you crying? And he said to me, 
Do you remember me? My name is Zachariah. And suddenly, I remembered him. The last time I saw him, it was in that dark night. I could hear suddenly the way that he was screaming, even though that was 25 years. Suddenly, I started to see his broken arm and broken legs. I started to see the scars, which I caused him. I started to be full of shame. I was a bad person, yeah. I was terrible. So Zachariah looked me straight into the eye again and he said to me, answer yes, because you hated me so much. I was always praying for you. He opened his Bible and the minute he opened his Bible, I saw that my name was written in the first page. I hated him, he prayed for me. On that day, God confronted me. He said to me, even before you start to think about me, I was thinking about you. To love those who hate you, you need someone whose name is Yeshua. why we pray. There, there is so much to celebrate worldwide in terms of unprecedented numbers of Muslims like Yasir coming to know and believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And yet, opposition to the gospel in Muslim countries is the most extreme in the world, as is the persecution and suffering unleashed on any Muslim who dares become a Christian, and we heard from Yasir firsthand. Converting to Christianity from Islam is considered a betrayal of one's faith and family. Christian converts are subject to intimidation, harassment, imprisonment, physical violence, torture, and death. In fact, many are killed on the spot. According to Open Doors Canada, last year, 5,898 Christians were martyred for their faith, killed for holding and preaching and believing in Jesus Christ. And those are just the ones that are recorded. And over 85% of those who were killed for their faith were in predominantly Muslim countries. In other words, where Christianity is growing the most, Christians are suffering the most and being killed. We don't hear that 
too often, do we? We don't like to think about that, but that is the reality. And the roots of Christian martyrdom can be traced directly to our passage today in Acts chapter 5, where I would invite you to turn with me if you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 5. And uh, this passage concludes Luke's account of the first two waves of, of persecution against the, the infant church. After Peter and John's first night in jail in chapter 4, you'll recall that the Sanhedrin issued a prohibition and a warning to them. Stop teaching in Jesus' name or else, basically. They, they threatened them. And what happened? That led Peter and John to go back to the believers and to pray for boldness, great boldness, to continue preaching the gospel. They made clear to the Sanhedrin, it's not going to stop us. You, you can threaten us all you want. We must obey God rather than men. And so that's what they do. They continue to preach the good news of Jesus Christ, filling Jerusalem with the gospel, healing people in Jesus' name. In fact, crowds gathered, bringing their sick so that the apostles could heal them. The church grew and grew and grew, which leads to the apostles' second arrest that we looked at last week. And uh, after being thrown in jail the second time, and again, we don't know whether it was all of them or some of them, but a few of them at least are thrown in jail. And of course, an angel of the Lord comes and releases them from prison in the middle of the night and tells them to do what? Go keep preaching. Go to the temple courts. Keep doing what you've been commissioned to do. Preach the gospel. So early daybreak, they go and continue the work of preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's not long before they're apprehended again, though peacefully, because the, the officers at the temple precinct didn't want to create a fuss here. I mean, these guys are popular right now. They're healing people, so bring them in gently before the Sanhedrin again. And then the high priest, as they stand before the Sanhedrin the next day, he doesn't question them as to how they got out of prison. He reminds them of the warning that they've been given not to preach in this name. Again, he doesn't want to use the name of Jesus. He's afraid. And after reminding them of this, we have that amazing response yet again. I'm going to hopefully show you this here if we... Thank you. Uh, here's, what, here's what they say. Verse 29, chapter 5, Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. And uh, they proceed to give a gospel summary, really, proclaiming Jesus' death on the cross or tree, as it's referred to here. And, and they again, they point the finger at the Sanhedrin, these Jewish rulers who were guilty of murdering Jesus. But they also point to his resurrection from the dead and his exaltation to the Father's right hand. And they tell the Sanhedrin that they, along with all of Israel, must repent and receive forgiveness through faith in Jesus Christ. Which brings us to our passage today. Beginning at verse 33, here's what we read. When they heard this, the Sanhedrin, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. 
But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that these men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin, men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theudas appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed. All his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word today. It's amazing. This brings us to the end of chapter 5 in our study in Acts. And uh, <clears throat> I just want to kind of zoom in on these verses just for a few moments this morning because I was just struck by the thematic parallels that we see in this passage and Yasir's story that we heard earlier, which was really uh, his story of how he came to saving faith in Jesus Christ through the faithful prayer of a believer who he persecuted personally. He, he beat him. In Yasir's words, he wanted Zechariah to die. He hated him. Why? Because he was a follower of Jesus Christ. That's it. Look at this. It says, when they heard this, when the Sanhedrin heard the gospel... When the Sanhedrin saw Peter and the apostles stand up and defy them and say, we must obey God rather than men, they were furious. Furious. You see, the gospel wasn't just foolish to them, my friends. It was infuriating. They are overcome with outrage. If you've been tracking with us in this series you'll recall that the Sanhedrin went from being greatly disturbed or annoyed in chapter 4, verse 2, to jealous of the apostles in chapter 5, verse 17, now to furious here in verse 33, which means seething with hatred. Hatred. That's exactly what Jesus promised his disciples, is it not? He said, in Matthew 10, all men will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And in John 15, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. 
Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Jesus promised this to his disciples. Well, Acts 5 verse 33 is the first time we we read these fateful, frightening words. They wanted to put the apostles to death. This is the first recorded instance of, of anyone plotting to kill the disciples. Right here, the, their death is initiated. Indeed, this is really the starting point, the origination of Christian martyrdom and the motivation behind Christian martyrdom. You think about it, every time someone is killed for their faith in Jesus Christ, it's because, first of all, their killers hate them and can't contain that hatred and kill them. They're threatened just like the Sanhedrin was threatened because these people, followers of Jesus, stand upon the truth. They are filled with the Holy Spirit. They speak the name that is above every other name, the name of Jesus. Again, we saw that in Yesir's story, didn't we? This is exactly as Jesus foretold. You see, he didn't just promise that his apostles would be persecuted, that they would suffer grief and all kinds of trials. Yes, that that was a part of the reality. That is a part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. However, he promised them something more. In fact, he called and commissioned them to be what? His witnesses. Acts 1.8. You will be my witnesses. Martus. It's where we get our word martyr. This is what you will do, he told his apostles. You will lay down your life for me. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that is exactly what almost all of the apostles did. They became martyrs for Christ. According to tradition, Simon Peter was crucified in Rome upside down because he didn't consider himself worthy to die in the same way as Jesus. His brother Andrew was also crucified on an X-shaped cross while preaching at the top of his lungs to those who were crucifying him. James was beheaded in Jerusalem Though the Apostle John died a natural death as an old man, it was not without attempts on his life, including being boiled alive in oil, which he survived. Philip was hanged. Thomas was run through with a spear. Matthew was beheaded with a sword. James, the son of Alphaeus, was thrown from a great height and then beaten to death with clubs. Jude was killed by an executioner's arrows. Bartholomew was whipped and then beaten to death. The Apostle Paul was beheaded in Rome. Barnabas was stoned and beheaded, as was Matthias. Mark died in Alexandria after being dragged through the streets of the city. And Luke, the author of Acts, was hanged on an olive tree in Greece for his faith in Jesus Christ. And my friends, their martyrdom along with all generations of Christian martyrs to follow right up to this very day to the 6,000 who laid down their lives this past year. All of it is set in motion right here in Acts 5. 
In fact, it appears that the apostles would have likely been killed on the spot that day had it not been for this guy, Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people. He stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Basically, calm down. This, this, this man, this, this Jewish authority, this elder, in fact, he's known as Gamaliel the Elder, stands up and basically advises the Sanhedrin to take a deep breath here. Let's not be rash. Think about what you're doing. Gamaliel was clearly much less heated and more level-headed than his Sadducean counterparts there who formed the majority of the Sanhedrin. He was the grandson of the famous liberal Rabbi Hillel, who founded the most renowned school of religion in Israel. And Gamaliel quickly rose in the rabbinic ranks, earning the most esteemed title of Rabban, which means our teacher. Rabbi means my teacher. Gamaliel was the teacher of Israel, the most respected there was. He was an expert in the law. In fact, the Apostle Paul confirms that before his conversion, he was educated at the feet of Gamaliel. The Apostle Paul. Okay. This is an important guy, a respected guy, and a level-headed guy. There's wisdom and moderation that he has here. We see that in verse 35, where, where he addresses the Sanhedrin, and he says, Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men, these apostles. And he basically advises them to take a let's wait and see approach. Let, let's see how this thing plays out. Let's not kill them. Let's just wait and see what happens here. And to support this, he points to two examples from the past, two uprisings that came to nothing. We read this in verse 36. Some time ago, Theudas appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed. All his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. This is Gamaliel's first example that he gives. Now, the, uh, the historian Josephus mentions a Theudas in his writings, a Theudas who led a rebellion, but that was at a later point than this. So we can't confirm it was the same guy. Outside of this passage, we don't have an official historical record of this man. But what we do know, according to Gamaliel, is that he was basically like a very influential leader who just came on the scene suddenly and died off as quickly as he appeared had this rallying group of 400 who followed him, but it all came to nothing. And then he points to another example in verse 37. After him, there was a man named Judas, the Galilean, who appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. Okay, so Josephus, the historian, does describe a Judas of Galilee who led a tax revolt in AD 6, but who, like Theudas, was eventually killed and his, scatters, his followers scattered, just like the other example. So after citing these two examples, Gamaliel gives his rationale for sparing the apostles' lives in verse 38. He says, therefore, in this present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it'll fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men you will only find yourselves fighting against God. Gamaliel's argument was basically, if, if the apostles aren't from God, 
they, along with the church, will fizzle out. It'll come to nothing. But if they really are from God, good luck. Because you're not going to be able to stop them. You'll be fighting against God himself. So he basically says, let's wait and see what happens. Now, of course, we know what happens to and through the apostles. The gospel of Jesus Christ spreads, and his church grows into the largest, most influential religion the world has ever known. We are a part of it right here today, my friends. But we don't know exactly what happened to Gamaliel. Tradition says he continued in his role in the Sanhedrin, and he secretly assisted Christians in cases like this. And that he, in fact, later became a Christian and was baptized along with Nicodemus by Peter and John. However, the Bible records no further details about him, so we can't really confirm that. I hope that's the case. Hope and pray one day we get to meet Gamaliel. But look at verse 40. The point is this. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. What do you think of when you hear that word flogged? For some reason, growing up, I kind of thought of like being hit in the face. Like, oh, I've flogged. (laughs) Uh, That's not what it means. This is more than a slap on the wrist or a punch in the face. The word translated flogged literally means skinned, scourged. It was the violent whipping of their bare backs and chests with long triple braided bands of cowhide. Two strikes to the back and one strike to the front. And though we're not told whether they received the maximum scourging, which was 39 stripes or strikes, 40 minus 1 according to the Jewish law, we are told that they're scourged here, they're flogged here, they're beaten here. Now, typically, people weren't known to die from a scourging, but they were known to be deterred from offending again. The intense pain was was meant to demoralize and discourage them, to destroy their spirits, But that is not what happened with the apostles. The flogging had the opposite effect, didn't it? Look at verse 41. The apostles left the Sanhedrin, what? Rejoicing. Because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Even though their backs and chests were brutally slashed, lacerated, bleeding, they leave the Sanhedrin rejoicing, jumping for joy because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. For there was no greater honor than suffering dishonor for the name of Jesus. He promised them that. You will be persecuted. They will hate you. But rejoice. Rejoice, because great is your reward in heaven. In the Sermon on the Mount, that's what we read. Blessed are you when people insult you, Jesus said, when they persecute you, when they say all kinds of evil things against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. 
because great is your reward in heaven. By the way, can I just point out, because of me, Jesus said, not just blessed are you when people say all kinds of evil against you, when they say all kinds of evil against you because of me. We can't call it persecution just when we're going through hard times in our lives. Persecution is suffering for the cause of Jesus Christ. It's response It's human, hateful response to the gospel, to the truth, coming out through us by the power of the Holy Spirit as we speak the truth in love to those who need to hear it. Rejoice and be glad, Jesus said, because great is your reward in heaven. Well, rejoice is exactly what the disciples did and would continue to do every time they were flogged, beaten, insulted, or made to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. Peter would later write these words, and I want to show you these. I I wonder if Peter was reflecting on his very first flogging when we read this in 1 Peter 4. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial that has come upon you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you share in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed at the revelation of his glory. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Rejoice that you share in the sufferings of Christ. The Apostle Paul longed for this, right? Philippians 3. I I, I long to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the what? The fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. It's the greatest honor I can imagine that day the disciples, as they're each taking their turn, being scourged, being whipped for the cause of Christ, looking at each other. I don't know, there was all happening at the same time, but can you believe what's happening? Not like, can you believe what's happening? Woe is us. Can you believe what's happening? Praise the Lord. This is what he called. This is what he told us. We are being counted worthy to suffer for our Savior. Wow. Rejoice that you share in the sufferings. By the way, we've we talked about that word koinonia. There it is right there. Koinonia, that you share, have the fellowship of sharing in Jesus' sufferings. Wow, that takes it to another level, doesn't it? I wonder, <clears throat> I wonder what Peter was thinking. I wonder what uh, John was thinking. We don't know. But here's what we do know. It wasn't just rejoicing that that took place. That that wasn't the disciples' only response. Yes, they rejoiced, but look at the end of verse 41. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Wow. The beating that they took deepened their joy And it emboldened their witness. With the joy of the Lord as their strength, they kept on preaching the gospel in the temple courts, right in the faces of the Sanhedrin, right? They they kept doing it day after day, going from house to house, until the day when each apostle finished his race and fulfilled Jesus' commission in becoming his witnesses, his martyrs. Indeed, their blood, my friends, was the seed for the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In 197 AD, the early church leader Tertullian wrote to the Roman governor of his province who was persecuting Christians. 
killing them, but failing to destroy Christianity. And here's what Tertullian said, kill us, (laughs) torture us, condemn us, grind us to dust. The oftener we are mown down by you, the more in number we grow. The blood of Christians is seed. Seed that continues to grow and bear fruit today. My friends, the church is growing worldwide at an amazing rate, and most rapidly in the very countries, many of the Muslim, where persecution is the most severe, which is why today I would say, first of all, we need to pray. Pray for the Muslim world, that God would reveal himself in powerful ways during these next 30 days during Ramadan, that many Muslims would be saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And, my friends, we must pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ in the Muslim world, that they would be strengthened in their suffering with the boldness of the Holy Spirit in their witness for Jesus Christ. As we read in Hebrews 13, 3, let us pray and remember those who are mistreated as if we ourselves were suffering with them. And yet, I don't want to walk away from this passage without at least considering persecution and opposition in our own lives. I think it would be wrong to do that. Yes, it's different here in North America. No question about it. But I do just want to show you this verse. We've talked about this before. 2 Timothy 3.12. Paul says, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Reflecting on this verse, the late Glenn Penner, who was the former CEO of Voice of the Martyrs Canada, he spent his life advocating for the persecuted church. He said this, I want to quote him here, you realize suffering is supposed to be a normal part of what it means to be a Christian, but we don't talk about that much in the church. We do everything we can to live comfortably, but that's not what it means to follow Christ. He goes on to say this, when people ask me, do you think we will ever experience persecution here in Canada? Recently, I've been inclined to answer, why should we be persecuted? In what way is the average Canadian Christian making such a difference for the kingdom of God that he or she warrants being persecuted? In what way does the average Canadian Christian stand out from his or her society in such a way that the offense of the cross that Paul speaks about in Galatians 5.11 is exhibited? And then he says this, I wonder what would happen if more of us here in Canada actually met Paul's criteria of wanting to live godly lives in Christ Jesus. Wow. Wow. I want to look at that verse for a second here. When Paul says, everyone who wants to live a godly life, that word want means desiring and designing, being ready and willing to live a godly, meaning God-fearing, pious, pure, holy life, a life set apart from the world, different from the world, for the sake of Christ Jesus. Anyone who does that will be persecuted 
My friends, if we can't point to at least some mild forms of opposition in our lives, opposition for the cause of Christ, could it be that we don't really want to live godly lives, at least not the way that we're supposed to? Could it be that that we have a reticent, maybe undercover faith that we've made a habit of of keeping quiet when, when we should have spoken up? When God gives us those opportunities, my friends, we're not called to seek out persecution, but we are called to speak out for Jesus Christ, to be his witnesses. We are called to be willing to step outside of our comfort zones, be it at work, be it on our streets, in a conversation with our neighbor, in our families speaking with with those family members who who don't know Jesus Christ as Lord, who are living in the darkness. I was thinking of this old song from the 90s this week. (laughs) You know the Newsboys? A great band uh, in the 90s from Australia, I think. Uh, They they sang this song. It became a a big hit for them. It's called I'm Not Ashamed. I just want to read you these lyrics. What are we sneaking around for? Who are we trying to please? Shrugging off sin, apologizing like we're spreading some kind of disease. I'm saying no way. No way. This one says it's a lost cause. Save your testimony for church time. The other ones state you'd be better wait until you do a little market research. But I'm saying no way. No way. I'm not ashamed to let you know. I want this light of me to show. I'm not ashamed to speak the name of Jesus Christ. (sighs) Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for our salvation in Jesus Christ. Father God, you know our hearts. You know our lives. You know where we've fallen short. You know where we've failed. Where we've missed those opportunities that you've presented to us to stand up, to show that we're not ashamed to speak the name of Jesus Christ, that that we're not afraid to tell people the good news of what you've done in our lives and what you want to do in theirs. Father God, I pray today that you give us boldness as your people here Lord, we want to pray, first of all, as we've already mentioned, we want to pray for boldness for our brothers and sisters in the persecuted church, specifically in the Muslim world right now, that over the course of these next 30 days, Father God, that they would be bold in their witness, in speaking the truth in love, that even in the face of suffering, Father God, that they would stand firm and and like the apostles in our passage today, rejoice for being counted worthy of suffering for the sake of your name. Father God, you know that 
we face a very different kind of opposition here. And yet there is real opposition all around us, Father. And there will be more as we step out and speak out the name of Jesus. And Father, I pray for your people here today that you'd empower us to do that. Not to be afraid. Father God, we pray for our family members. We pray for those people who don't know Jesus Christ. And yet, Lord, you also call us not just to pray for them, but but to say to them, speak the truth. Help us to do that. Open up those doors and not to do it in our own strength, but to submit to you, Holy Spirit, to give us the words that we need, the boldness and courage that we need to, to be obedient. Father God, I pray, I pray that we would do that today. Father God, and tomorrow, and Father, that that we would look at this incredible example of these apostles who laid down their lives and rejoiced in the process of doing that in spite of the immense suffering. God, because they knew that the glory that would follow would be immeasurably greater. Thank you, Father God. Thank you for that promise that, that great is our reward in heaven, though we don't deserve it. Thank you for that, Father, and help us to live in light of that truth. Ours is a living hope because our Savior, Jesus, you are alive and you are coming again. So, Father, between now and then or whenever you will take us home, help us to do what you've called us to, to be bold in our witness in sharing the love of Jesus Christ with this world that so desperately needs it. We pray that today many people across this world and specifically the Muslim world would be saved by your grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name I pray, amen. Amen. As uh, we close this morning, I've, um, and as I've been hearing the word here, I wonder if, um, I wonder if the, the apostles, when they were being flogged, if they had this song and in their time, I wonder if they would have sung those words, it is well with my soul. That, you know, whatever happens, that they know who they've believed in and that it is well with their souls. And so as we meditate on what we've heard this morning, I'm inviting you, if you're able, to stand and let's sing the words of this song, it is well with my soul.
close with this benediction uh, from 1 Peter 5, but before I do, I want to thank you. Thank you once again for joining us today in the service of worship. We look forward to a, a sweet time of fellowship in the gymnasium afterwards, so please join us there. Again, pick up your copy of the 30 Days of Prayer, and more importantly, pray. Please commit to praying these prayers every day uh, for those in, in the Muslim world, and we look forward to seeing what God is going to do. Uh, in and amongst and through the prayers of his people. So now receive the Lord's blessing. This is from 1 Peter chapter 5. I just want to read these few verses. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. 
Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. The Lord bless you.